Hey everyone, welcome to a very celebratory uh, episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. All right, Joe, great week for our teams. Uh, let's start with the actual victors, and then we'll move on to the mortal victors. Uh, Ole Miss had easily the biggest win in the Lane Kiffin era, and just an incredible show-stopping game. I mean, it was like Michael Bay was directing it with all the points that were get scored and all the fireworks. 55-49. to 49. And Joe, let me read off these stats that Jaden Daniels and Jackson Dart had. Uh, Jaden Daniels, LSU's quarterback, 414 yards, four TDs, and no picks. And then Jackson Dart on the other side, a pedestrian, 389 yards, four TDs, and zero picks. I mean, there's no way that I saw a game like this coming. Yeah, it was unbelievable, Dan. Uh, definitely an all-timer, like you were telling me in the text message Saturday night for Ole Miss. It just kind of adds to the tradition of this rivalry. And just the quarterback play was just so compelling, so good. I mean, the connection between Daniels and those receivers, just unbelievable. I mean, the execution that they were completing some of those passes was really high at a higher level than some NFL quarterbacks I've seen in recent years. It was just crazy. And then Dart, you know, had uh, – he did a great job of evading a pass rush and avoiding sacks – uh, getting the ball down the field to guys like Trey Harris. I mean, Trey Harris is just unbelievable, too. I mean, I think that anybody had a question about whether he could make the jump from uh, group of five to the power five, I think he's just a top-flight receiver. And then Judkins finally had his best game of the season. Yeah, that was the biggest thing to me is that, you know, there's been so much problem this whole season with getting Judkins good. I'm not sure what the issue has been. I know against Tulane, it looked like he was in a lot of pain. You could see it on the sidelines. I'm not sure what it was exactly, but you could see him wincing a whole lot. So I know he wasn't feeling good during that game. But he just hasn't really seemed to to be himself this year. And he finally went out, and I think he had over 100 yards rushing in the game. It looked like the Judkins of old, and that's going to be really important uh, for Ole Miss if they want to get to any of the kind of goals they set for this season. Yes, definitely. And I think that what was encouraging about it is following the Alabama game, you saw the offense really stall at Tuscaloosa, and you felt like, did they really even prepare for this game? Like, I didn't see anything really creative or innovative from Lane Kiffin. But then what we saw against LSU was everything that you expect from Lane Kiffin, and then some uh, with the offensive execution. Right, and, and Joe, uh, uh, you know, I hate to sound contrarian right here. There's been a lot of fingers pointed at Pete Golding and how bad the Ole Miss defense looked in that game. But I do have to say that when the game, when it mattered at the end of the game, they made two stops in a row. I mean, Ole Miss was down by nine points. Uh, you know, they scored the touchdown to get within two. Actually, technically, I think Ole Miss stopped in the last three times that LSU had the ball because they were down by two scores. So the defense didn't play good for – three and a half quarters, but at the end, they were able to get pressure. They had a big sack on Jaden Daniels, and of course, in the last play of the game, they forced him to have to throw what actually was an amazing pass under the circumstances, but one where it was such a tight window that he really had to fire it in there, making it hard for pretty much anybody to make that catch. Yeah, it was amazing still, like you're right, how close that they they came to completing it after he had to kind of run around and scramble. I mean, when he can buy time with his legs, I mean, that's when you really get nervous. And just the way that last sequence played out, you know, as an Ole Miss fan, you kind of feel that you've seen this movie too many times where, you know, something similar to that fourth and 25 is going to happen against Arkansas where you have the 
horse collar tackle, and suddenly that gives them the other the extra chance, kind of like that face mask back in 2015. So that's what I was afraid of, and especially with Ole Miss uh, electing. I guess Kiffin didn't want him to score the touchdown, but Harris, you know, got in the end zone, and so they didn't run the clock out, and so then you're you know you're really scared about giving LSU that extra time. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's weird. It reminded me so much of the Ole Miss-Tennessee game, of course, the legendary golf ball game, where not only do you have the issue with trash being thrown on the field and, and you know, angry Ole Miss fans, it, it you know, was was frankly a badly missed call. Uh, you also have the fact that, remember, Ole Miss gave Tennessee the ball back at the end of that game with maybe 35 seconds, and Joe Milton moved them all the way down the field in like 15 seconds, and they had like three or four plays inside the 25-yard line to win that game. And this is exactly what happened here. I mean, I want to say when Ole Miss kicked the ball off, they had LSU had about 42 seconds. I mean, it wasn't 15 seconds later that LSU was already like in touchdown land. I mean, they were already in a, in a place where they could throw the ball into the end zone. And, I mean, you had to get a sack – uh, in order to bring them back to where it even made the last play difficult. It was amazing how quickly they moved down the field there at the very end. No, it, it really was. I mean, I, I really think that Daniels, you know, you look at the numbers that he put up, one of the better quarterback performances I've really seen in the last two years from an efficiency standpoint and how accurate he was and to do it, you know, on that stage – and, you know, Dart matched him, of course. They, they were just neck and neck throughout. Um, I think, you know, the game being in Oxford really made the difference for Ole Miss. And then, you know, finally, I just have to give Kiffin credit, you know, for bringing the team back the way last week went. And then finally, we've seen in the Kiffin era some of these close games that Ole Miss usually loses, they're actually winning. Yeah, and I thought the way the team responded was such a big deal. You look at last season, they had a chance to beat Alabama uh, at home. They had them in a good opportunity at the very end. Kevin's play calling went haywire, and it felt like after that, the bottom dropped out for that team. And the only thing they did the entire rest of the season was they beat a substandard A&M team on the road, and even that wasn't easy. So, I mean, this was a huge response. And, Joe, I think going into the season, if you told us, too, that they would split the game between Ole, between Bama and LSU, we would have been happy with that because, frankly, I mean, that's, you know, that's exceeding expectations. I mean, going into the season, we probably would have put uh, Bama and LSU as losses. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, win winning those, those games or winning one of those games is definitely huge. And Ole Miss is really, you know, still right there in the SEC West race. That's right. And Joe, on, on a funny note, uh, I got to say that, you know, we've been making fun of Tennessee fans for the last two years about the mustard and about the golf ball and all the things that happened when they rushed the field. The rushing the field by the LSU, by the Ole Miss fans afterwards um, was, was something. The, the Twitter videos, there's a lot of parents that are probably pretty upset with their kids. And most importantly, there are two examples. One was the kid that was running around without a shirt on, runs up to what appears to be an LSU defensive lineman, uh, says FLSU to him, and then, of course, the LSU player responds by pushing him into the ground, and then uh, this Ole Miss fan gets back up and calls him something else, which I'm not even going to, like, intimate. And I was just sitting there thinking to myself, you know, 
if I were his friend, I don't even think I would help him if the LSU got punched him. It's like kind of kind of asking for something right there. And you know, I was thinking to myself, like, this is my kid and he rushed the field, I would be saying, you know, just show some better judgment, man, because you do if you're talking to a guy who just lost a close football game and he's four times the size of you, what do you think's gonna happen? Well, that's true. And, you know, it also reminds me, you know, I, I think about it when you have like a big win, you know, I, I used to think when I was younger, you know, I, I don't understand why there's the penalty, you know, or a fine if fans storm the field, you know, you know you're kind of interfering with the celebration. But, you know, the, the more I see, I, I feel like kind of shows, you know, why they, they really don't want people doing that. Yeah, you see examples like that and it, it gives, it makes you think about it. Like, for instance, you know, when, when Tennessee beat Alabama last year, Jermaine Garden Burton punched that girl. You know, I don't know what she said to him. I don't know what she did. But then whatever it was, apparently it was bad enough that Nick Saban and his infinite wisdom didn't even suspend him, you know. So I, I don't know. I mean, in that circumstance, let me say, if I was BK and that guy had gotten hurt, he did anything, I would be like, I'm not suspending my player for that. I'm just yeah, not. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's a chaotic situation. I mean, you're, you're asking – for trouble, like in that type of situation. And honestly, anybody that runs on the field, they have to be prepared to kind of assume that risk. Right. And, you know, as much as this guy's getting made fun of this week, it's possible he's not the most made fun of Ole Miss fan out there right now. There was the guy who got on the goalpost and started kissing it and appeared to be making some uh, some thrusting motions on it. And then when no one else gets on the goalpost, he jumps off. He face plants and then he gets arrested. And I was just like, I mean, shouldn't you talk to some other people before you decide to get up there? Generally, that's a, you know, I've been a part of a goalpost taking down. In fact, it was 2014 against Alabama. I got involved in it. You don't do it by yourself. You have to have a coordinated effort. And you don't want to be that one guy that's doing it. Yeah. I mean, the more you talk about it, like it's, like you said, it, you run on the field. It's a chaotic situation. It's often a very dangerous situation. Um, you know, I, I I don't know what to say other than like some of these people they've got to use better judgment. Yeah, I mean exactly. And then the best one is you know you also have the little security guard who was sitting there like trying to block people from getting on, and he doesn't catch anybody. But then he like slaps a girl and puts her on the ground. I'm like. What? What are you doing, man? <laughs> wow. It was just, oh, man. But, you know, the thing is, you can't really stop it. I mean, the only way you could actually stop it is to basically put up, like, a hockey wall around the field. You know? Yeah, you have to, to do something like that to obstruct their entry. Because here's the deal. Like, who cares if you have a $100,000 fine? Somebody will pay it or they'll do a GoFundMe to the university and it'll get, they'll raise the money in three hours. That's not a real solution. I really think that if, you know, and I, I, I hesitate to put this out there, but the only way I think you could actually stop people from doing it would be if you took away home games. Like, if you actually made a penalty, if you rushed the field, then. Uh, next year you played Alabama on the road, but you have to play them on the road again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that would deter it. Absolutely. Well, Joe, there was a cloud storming in Oxford for a huge win. There almost was one in Auburn. I mean, I 
I gave Auburn zero chance to not to not beat Georgia, not to not even be in that game against Georgia. And I was shocked. I mean, they get out to the 10 to nothing lead. The defense is causing turnovers. There was an incredible interception by Jalen Simpson, who, if he doesn't get first team all SEC, then there's something wrong with the voting. Joe, he's leading the country in interceptions right now with four. And I mean, he absolutely stole the ball from a Georgia wideout uh, early on. Uh, and, you know, we actually saw Auburn's running game get going against the Georgia defense. Auburn finished with 219 yards rushing, which, to be honest, Joe, I would have been happy with like 120 yards rushing against that Georgia defense. Um, you know, and they they get to the second half, and Georgia has to have a magical drive to be able to win the game, and one where basically all they did was throw it to Brock Bowers. And pretty much that's all they did in the fourth quarter is Brock Bowers had – 120 yards in the fourth quarter. And I think that right now, um, I know that there's so many quarterbacks that are really good, and he doesn't have much of a chance of winning the Heisman, but I think he is the most valuable player for his team right now. It's either him or Caleb Williams. Regardless, I think he deserves an invitation to the Heisman's running. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense to invite him. It reminds me, I think I've used this analogy before with him, that it's kind of like in the sport of basketball when you have uh, one player that the offense runs through him. Kind of reminds me of like, you know, LeBron James when he was in Cleveland early on. You know, nobody else was really going to do anything. And so the offense always went through him, whether he was playing point guard or not. And that's really what you see with Bowers. Out of necessity, Georgia just does not really have weapons that are comparable. Their running game to me is very pedestrian and based on their standards this year. And so you got to throw it to Bowers. He's got to have production like that for them to win. And I think that's one reason that they're vulnerable at some point this season. I think so too, Joe. I mean, I think right now they've lost something like three running backs to injuries. So they've gotten a little bit decimated at that position. I do think that Carson Beck has proven to be a very good quarterback. I mean, if you look at his numbers against Auburn, he did throw the interception, but it was a great interception. Uh, I think he was about a 70% passer in that game, had over 300 yards, and was perfect on the last drive, which you got a guy who, even though he's a senior, his first road start is at Jordan-Hare, which is arguably the most difficult place to play in America under the right circumstances. And, you know, you, you play a close game, you only win by one touchdown. But I think that Beck did a whole lot. I thought that was an impressive, uh, you know, start for him. Oh, I think so. Yeah, for him, for him to get that win, you know, that, that was a big moment for him. But like you said, you know, you give a lot of credit to Auburn for being right there, you know, the field goal, um, you know, in the fourth quarter to tie it 20 to 20. And, you know, it was really the, the difference is we can't say it enough is that one team had uh, Brock Bowers. Yeah, th- that was the difference. And I mean, I thought Peyton Thorne played a lot better. Um, I watched some tape where, he had six drop passes where he put it right on the money. And now he only had 84 yards passing, but you add up those six, he probably would have finished closer to 200, which, hey, against the Georgia defense, nothing wrong with that. And then you yeah. add in the fact that he got a 62-yard run against Georgia. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, um, he, he really uh, impressed me, you know, played a much better game. Um, and I think that when, when you look at how close Auburn played, I think it was huge for – you know, having a first-year head coach uh, to give Georgia this type of game, I think that it's a big statement for coming years that, you know, maybe not next year, well, maybe next year, but especially two years from now, if you're Georgia, you're really nervous going back to Auburn for that game. 
Yeah, I think that, that Georgia is going to be in, in trouble two years from now because Freeze will have his players, and you can already see a change um, in the demeanor. You know, both times that Harson played Georgia, they never hung with him, not even really for a half. And, you know, I thought that it was a decision that Freeze made. That while I understood it, I didn't think it was the right call at the time, and I don't know that it made it. I don't know that they would have won the game, but I think it would have been a little bit different. Uh, they were they were tied ten ten at the end of the first half, and Auburn had fourth and one, and they were about at the twenty yard line. And I was just I was at my friend's house, and I was just begging. I was like, "Please keep the field goal." I mean, you and I have talked about this so many times, Joe. When you take on Georgia, when you take on Alabama, don't give away points. Yeah. I, know, I know you want the touchdown, but your defense is playing good. You're playing the number one team in America. Get the lead back. And instead, Freeze tries to run it up the middle. There's a bad snap, and they don't get the first down. And that's that's points that they gave away and ended up being 10-10 at half. I think it would have been a huge confidence boost to just be leading at halftime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, changed, it changes everything. Like, you know, even though, um, you know, yeah, yeah. Still had that last drive at the end. I mean, is that drive? Does that drive feel different? If when it's end, not tied. You know, yeah, if it's not tied, you're actually going for the win. Yeah, I think so too, man. Um, you know, I, I want to talk about this too. We talked about how with the Ole Miss, it was so good to see uh, Quinshawn Judkins have a good game where you saw him getting right. I thought that Jarquez Hunter had a real get right game in this one. Uh, he had 64 yards. Uh, he really killed it on his outside runs. And I think, you know, maybe starting to put all the stuff that happened over the summer, all the kind of, you know, internal stuff that he's been dealing with with the university, maybe he's putting a little bit of that behind him because that was an impressive performance. And I think maybe he's coming into his own a little bit as last season. Yeah, I, I could see that. It's, it seemed like he was more himself and kind of looked more like midseason form. And I think that that bodes well for the rest of his production this year. That's right, Joe. Um but I think this this because uh, you know I hate to talk about moral victories, but I think that was a moral victory for Auburn, and I think it's a good sign that they're improving under Freeze. I mean, you look at it; they've definitely improved every game. I feel like, and that was their best performance of the season, and definitely one where you can take a lot of positives from the loss. I think so. Absolutely. Uh, Joe, speaking of taking positives from the loss, I think if you're a Duke fan today. You're obviously heartbroken, just like Notre Dame was last week. Uh, and Notre Dame kind of basically did the same thing to you that Ohio State did to them. But I think you can say that you didn't lose the moment, right? You got to have game day on your campus for the first time. You had Notre Dame dead to rights. You came down from 10 points down. You got the lead at 14-10. to 10, And you got Notre Dame all the way to a point where they had a 4th and 16 they had to pick up or else you won the game. And Sam Hartman, who's not known for his legs, was able to rush for 17 yards, get the first down, and then get a touchdown. And, Joe, this was a huge win because I think that Duke, and and you and I have been saying it, we thought they were legit, but I think they showed they were a legit team, even in a loss. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think, you know, even though they wanted to win it, you know, having college game day and having the chance right there um, with the game uh, being, you know, so much in their favor – with the opportunity, you know, they hate to lose, but you still have to feel good about it. And I think that this is a game where it was going to impact um, or had more implications for Notre Dame, because if they lose the game, they're out of the playoff, you know, uh, conversation. 
whereas Duke still has a chance now in the ACC. And that would have been really unfortunate for Notre Dame to lose two in a row and have Sam Hartman and then be out of the playoff race this early. Absolutely. And, you know, another positive that Duke has is it's not two years ago when Notre Dame got that random invite to the ACC for a season. This doesn't count as a conference game. So this doesn't put Duke back any further in the ACC race, which I think legitimately what your goal if you're a Duke fan is this year is just give me a shot at Florida State. I want to get to the ACC championship game and have a chance to play Florida State. And that's still on the table right now. This game did nothing to deter those dreams. Oh, no, 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 not at all. I mean, the Duke football fans, I remember I had a professor in undergrad who went to Duke, and they, they would love, you know, that kind of season where they're in an ACC championship game again. Absolutely. And, and Joe, the, the biggest thing was a frightening thing happened in the game where Riley Leonard, who I'm a huge fan of because he's from, you know, just across the bay in Fairhope where I work at, um, he got injured at the end of that game on the last drive, and it looked like a bad injury on TV. But from everything I've heard, it looks like it was just an ankle sprain. And if he's not back this week, he'll be back within like two to three weeks. And I, and I think it's going to be okay for Duke. Yeah, I felt a lot better about that prognosis. That's right. Uh, I'll tell you who doesn't feel good right now, Joe, and that's anyone that wears the orange and blue. Not the Auburn orange and blue, the Gator orange and blue. What an embarrassing loss for Florida. They go to Kentucky and they just get manhandled, Joe, 33-14. to 14. Ray Davis, the Kentucky running back who last year was a Vanderbilt running back and had a similar type game against Florida, 280 yards and four touchdowns on 26 carries. And Kentucky just took it to him on both lines of scrimmage. And I just I don't know what to think right now about Billy Napier as Florida's coach because he got that win against Tennessee, but doesn't it feel like he's lost all of his goodwill he got from that win based on losing Kentucky three years in a row in the last two years, each of them being embarrassing, embarrassing losses? I think so because, I mean, Florida, for the longest time, we kind of hang their heads, you know, on the fact that in, you know, so many years they had never lost to Kentucky. Like, I remember people having – you know, T-shirts like, oh, I'm 24 years old in my lifetime. I've never seen a Kentucky loss. And now they've lost three years in a row. And so I think that we're seeing this up and down nature of the Billy Napier tenure. And it, this, to me, feels kind of worse than the reaction to the Utah loss. I think so, too, Joe. Um, and this one was a much more embarrassing loss than the Utah loss. I mean, Kentucky's a good program. I mean, I, I think that Mark Stoops done an excellent job there. But the bottom line is Utah was a game that people expected Florida to lose. They knew how good Utah's defense is. You're traveling to a very unfamiliar place out to Salt Lake City to take them on. I know Kentucky's got a pretty good home environment, but, it, I mean, does it even rank in the top five in the SEC? Probably not. Maybe not even the top ten in the SEC. I'm not sure. And as place yeah. Florida goes a lot. It was 11 a.m. kickoff. I mean, there's a lot of things that made it to where it wasn't going to be as bad of a road trip as what you normally expect. Um, and, and I think, too, something that hurts Billy Napier is I've seen his press conferences since then. And he said the right things where he took responsibility, but he's just so milk toast. You know, I know that, you know, nowadays you got Deion Sanders and, and coaches that are exciting. It just seems like Billy Napier is kind of boring. Yeah, there's something about him where, He's always compared to Saban, but he just sounds kind of different with his personality. You almost feel like you want him to maybe take um, more of a position either way. You know, like, is he going to be that kind of, you know, talkative, boisterous coach? Um, like, like I, I still don't know exactly who he is. 
I don't either. And I feel like a game like that, if I'm a Florida fan, I want to see him pissed off, right? I want to see him like throwing stuff. I want him to see him mad at, at reporters, like just angry about what his team did. I'm Florida's coach. We shouldn't lose like this, you know? I mean, can you imagine Steve Spurrier if he ever lost 33 to 14 to Kentucky at Kentucky? That never would have happened. But can you imagine him if he had lost like that? He would have lost his mind. Right, right. Yeah, he, he doesn't have the. The, the shock value or lack thereof that he was displaying was completely contrary to what his fans were thinking that were watching the postgame. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, even if that's not in his nature, I think you needed to put on some airs a little bit and get angry because I think you have to you have to show to your fan base, who, let's be honest, they're one of the most trigger-fabby fan bases there is, that that's an unacceptable performance by Florida standards. Right, because otherwise they're going to suddenly, you know, afraid that this is going to get to four or five with the losing streak to Kentucky. Absolutely, but on the on the flip side, though, how impressive is it for Mark Stoops to now have three wins in a row over Florida and two in a row to blowouts? And I remember what you were talking about, Joe. I think the win that they had uh, three years ago or four years ago was the first time they had won in Florida since, like, I think it was before I was born, like 1987. Yeah, it'd been forever, and I think now they have their first three-game losing streak or three-game winning streak in this series. I want to say going back at least seventy years since they won, or sixty years since they won three in a yeah, row. I think I heard that it was like just after Bear Bryant left Kentucky, like that long ago. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. So I mean, we're talking a long time. Uh, and Joe, speaking of a long time. It's got to be a long time now for, if you're a Mississippi State fan since you actually had a real belief that you could beat Alabama. I mean, like, every year this game is a snoozer where Alabama just kills them. And, I mean, I can think of one time ever since, like, Nick Saban's been there. I, I guess he lost his first year to Sylvester Croom, but I kind of give Saban a pass. Let's say since, Al- since Saban was really there, right, like the real Saban years when he had his own teams, that Mississippi State even had a chance. And that was that one time that Dan Mullen, I don't think he had a great team. It wasn't the it wasn't the Dak Prescott year, but they played Alabama at home. And I remember uh Jalen Hurts was there. And they kind of had him dead to rights, but then of course they had Todd Graham and he wouldn't stop blitzing. And finally Alabama realized that through a screen pass they could win the game and they did. But that's like the only game that was even one where Mississippi State looked like they should win. Everything else has been just a train wreck after train wreck. And they're never competitive. They're always boring, and they got to be quite depressing if you're a Mississippi State fan. Yeah, you never really have any belief that their offense can do anything against Bama's defense. It seems like they always have a lot of three and outs, and it seems like Bama always has some big plays. Um, you know, Milro had um, one or two big runs, like you know, with his feet. I know a big like breakaway touchdown, just showing how fast he was in the first half. And I, I agree with you. I mean, th- this is a game where State, year in and year out, over the last 16 years, basically, has played Alabama similar to an FCS opponent, like like they would play Alabama. Like, it's just not, you know, commensurate to the SEC. And the only reason I even watch this game is because I know so many people on both sides of this rivalry, and I always think about um, friends and family that I know who are Mississippi State fans who go to this game. But if it was not for that personal interest this is a game I would never watch. You know, I would never go to this game if I was a Mississippi State fan. Uh, I'll be honest, Joe. I haven't watched this game in the last three years because I know what the result's going to be. I went to this game four years ago when uh, when Alabama – that was unfortunately the game that the Tua got hurt, but I went to it. Oh, yeah. Just, 
it, Alabama was just in so much control. I remember it was like 28 to three pretty fast, like in the blink of an eye. Yeah, it's just uh, I don't, I don't, I can't call that game a rivalry. I mean, that's a conference game, and that's as far as I'm willing to say it. And you're right, it doesn't even seem like a conference game. It looks like Alabama's playing, you know, Mississippi College or something in that game. But it has so much promise because there's so such close proximity to each other with you know Tuscaloosa and Starkville, and so it's unfortunate that it's not a better game. I will, I will say this, uh, you know, Zach Arnett, I mean, obviously the early returns aren't great, but he's getting to pass in his first season. At least he gets angry in his press conferences at the end of games. I mean, I think that Billy Napier could take a little bit of a, you know, a, a little bit of hints from Zach Arnett and, and how to show your displeasure with how your team played. Yeah, I'll be interested uh, if they ever match up pretty soon. I'd like to kind of see their uh, press conferences or really their interactions between one another. You can compare them against one another. Um, Joe, speaking of comparisons, it's a rough thing to say that losing a quarterback may be the best thing for a team, but dang, if, if A&M doesn't look so much better since Connor Wigman got hurt against Auburn. I mean, Max Johnson is playing out of his mind. He was a solid quarterback at LSU. He never like blew your mind and how great he was, but as awesome as his name is Max Johnson, uh, he is playing to the max right now, and A&M looks like a very good football team. When you combine uh, their great defensive line with an excellent pass rush uh, with a quarterback play that suddenly looks like an upper-tier uh, quarterback in the SEC, they have some of the best receivers in the SEC, and A&M for the second week in a row looked quite good. Yeah, they did. They did. And, you know, that, that's a game that, you know, fan bases on both sides care a lot about against Arkansas. And they, they took care of business. And A&M is really set up well in the in the SEC West. You know, they got their prime opportunity uh, this weekend with a 2-30 game against Alabama. That's right. Um, you know, I thought that they showed no look ahead. They took Arkansas seriously. And Arkansas, while they're having a little bit of a down year, has played everybody pretty close. This game wasn't close. I mean, it actually it appeared closer than it really was. And A&M was in control from the get-go, and they shut down a great offense with K.J. Jefferson. Yes, yes. They, they really gave, gave them no chance at all. And, Joe, on the flip side, um, we were talking about before the show, you're starting to get a little bit worried about Sam Pittman down at Arkansas. Yeah, I am. Um, I think that you see they're in the midst of three straight losses. They've got a very tough road game at Ole Miss um, this weekend. Then they're playing Alabama the week after that. You look at the rest of the schedule. I mean, that's probably going to be five straight losses, uh, barring a miracle. And then you've got games like the Missouri game that look very losable right now. Auburn very losable. Mississippi State, maybe, you know, one of those teams. I guess somebody has Ooh, to win You can't game. lose Mississippi State. That might be yeah. an actual game over right now, the way State's playing. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you've got a lot of uh, tricky games on the schedule, and I think that things could kind of get away from Pittman. And I, I would just be interested to see, you know, how hot is that hot seat um, the, the rest of the way if, if this kind of gets away from him. I mean, I guess theoretically, Joe, they could not go to a bowl game right now, right? They, they could. I mean, they, they easily could end up with like a 3-9 and nine or 4-8 and eight caliber season. And so – I don't know what the reaction is going to be um, if they reach that level. Yeah, you know, I almost feel like it was sadly for Pittman. He's almost like a victim of his own success a little bit because I think he did a lot more, a lot quicker than people thought he would. 
and they suddenly started expecting him to keep doing like the Hugh Freeze thing where you win one more game every year. But it's like he got to nine games and now it's going the other way. And people are like, well, how'd you get it to where it is? What's happening? And I almost feel like if he had been a little bit slower with how well he did, maybe he'd be okay right now. Yeah, I think that that really um, hurt him. You're right. He was his own worst enemy. Um, you know, everybody was excited at first. He was kind of the toast of Fayetteville to um, have them in bowl games. But you also have, in addition, the issue that when they were ranked a few times in primetime type games, they just got blown out. Yeah, I mean, they had Alabama at home uh, when Alabama was struggling a lot. And I think Arkansas was like a top 10 team at that point. And they got killed. What they had that game against Georgia where everyone's like, oh, it's 11 a.m. kick at Georgia. And Arkansas is looking fantastic. What did Georgia beat them like 50 to 7 in that game? Yep. That, that was kind of the start of that. Yeah. Um, Joe, so we got Arkansas right now not living up to expectations. On the flip side, I thought this was maybe the most impressive game that Colorado's played all season. Uh, they're coming off, you know, well, frankly, they just got destroyed against Oregon. I mean, it was a it was a duck shoot and then some. And they they come back, they're playing USC, and USC gets up on them 41 to 14. Colorado comes roaring back, loses the game only by a touchdown. And you look at the numbers of the quarterbacks. Um, you know, Caleb Williams goes 30 of 40 for 403 yards and six tutties. And Shadur on the other side uh, goes 30 of 45 for 371 yards, four touchdowns and interception. And Caleb Williams had his first interception. And, I mean, I know that Colorado went on the road and beat TCU. I thought that was quite impressive. They had the big home win against uh, against Nebraska, but this may have been the best game they played all year. Yeah, I mean, to be able to make that game interesting at the end to kind of match uh, Caleb Williams, I think that was big for Sanders' confidence going forward. And I just – I think, you know, when you see a game like this, um, it's kind of similar to watching like an Ole Miss LSU. It's just offensive fireworks and uh, just great quarterback play all around. And now we have, though, on the flip side, Caleb Williams – just kind of uh, adding to his Heisman candidacy for a second year. We were talking about before the show, a 21 to one touchdown interception ratio. I mean, that's fantastic, Joe. And right now, I mean, I think he was deserving of winning back-to-back Heismans. I mean, it's so crazy to like think that, but he's doing nothing to derail his Heisman campaign. In fact, he's even better than he was last year. Well, I'll give you a stat I just thought of. Um, you know, uh, speaking of like people that have been in the Heisman conversation, he's already with 21 touchdowns. I think he's got more than uh, Matt Corral had for the entire season two years ago. That's crazy, man. Uh, I mean, uh, he's just he's putting up outlandish numbers. And right even halfway through the season, Joe, he could easily have more than 40 touchdowns. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And you think about the fact that he's got Washington left on the schedule, Oregon, UCLA. These are all teams that put up a lot of points. And he's probably going to have to have six or seven touchdowns in those kind of games for his team to have a chance to win. Oh, yeah. Well, he's going to have the numbers, no doubt. Yeah, Uh, there's no doubt about that. And, I mean, if USC can go through the season undefeated, one loss, even two losses, the only reason they're going to be there is because of Caleb Williams. Right, right. It won't be uh, his fault if they lose. Um, but I think if you're if you're Colorado and you're or you're just a fan of Dion, I think this game shows they will make a bowl game this year. 
I wasn't quite sure after the Oregon game. I thought, okay, Nebraska rebuild. It's a train wreck that, that Matt Rule's on the rebuild. TCU, they kind of caught him. Maybe it was a hype game. You know, Colorado State, whatever. That's not, you know, that's a rivalry game, but Colorado State is 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 beneath them. Um but this was a game that I think showed to me they're capable of winning six to seven games. Yeah, I mean, you, you were concerned that, you know, if you're facing more of an upper echelon conference opponent, that your offense is going to continue to falter. And so for them to be able to get some offensive rhythm, to show some life, I, th- I think that was pivotal for them. And yeah, I think that, you know, it, it'll be a good recipe to be able to take on um, kind of a woeful ASU team this week. I think that's just that's exactly what the doctor ordered for Dion and his boys this week. Um, yeah, th- this is one where I think there's a good chance where Colorado flexes a little bit. And, you know, you got the confidence right now. You went toe-to-toe with the biggest of the big boys, with one of the bluest of the blue bloods. You had a chance. You had an onside kick to tie it up. Didn't work out, but you were there with them. Right. Uh, that gives you a lot of confidence. Definitely. All right, well, Joe, I got a lot of confidence that we have the best radio show on the internet. You can catch all of our episodes on Spotify. Look up the Dan Joe Sports Show on Spotify. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're putting up new episodes all the time. I put some out last night. Uh, and, of course, you can follow us at on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Jeff.